0: What up? Welcome to Homegrown Hustle, where local brilliance takes the center stage. I'm your host, Matt Eichmann. Together, we're about to embark on an inspiring journey. Our community thrives on the wisdom of insightful leaders that are right here in our backyard. And we're bringing their expertise to your ears. Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or simply seeking inspiration, this podcast is your guide. Join us every week in celebrating innovation, guidance, and the power to inspire greatness. Let's explore the stories that shape our local business landscape, and together, let's ignite the spark of excellence.
1: Matt Ripley, cross-country mortgage here right before Christmas, kind of that last week leading up. I so appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Homegrown Hustle. It really means a lot to me, and I'm looking forward to being able to chat with you. It's been a little while.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it as well. I am excited as well.
1: Awesome. So I've been following you on on social media. You've been putting out a lot of great content that I'm looking forward to getting to. But before we get to any of that, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your history, kind of what your journey's been to get to where we're at right now?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking about my story. So I've been in the mortgage business for about 15 years. The environment we find ourselves in today is very similar to the environment that i stepped into and when i decided to change careers in 2007 and get into the mortgage industry and one might ask like well it's not like you dream about becoming a mortgage loan originator when you're a kid mm-hmm. like you know what was the drive what brought you to this position in your life so i was running a sales department for a local car dealership in excelsior bill mason chrysler jeep right out of college for about seven or eight years It's a very successful business, but at the time, my brother-in-law had gotten into the mortgage business, and I really saw and watched kind of how he was building a business model that was going to create reciprocal opportunities, freedoms, and I was very intrigued by it because relationships were always very important to me, but as far as buying a car, it's kind of similar to Buying a, I mean, you don't do it very often, but once you own that asset, I'm just done. I've sold you a car until you're ready to buy another car or life's changes and circumstances take place. You don't really need me. But as a mortgage consultant, I can help people really foster the growth of their asset and set them up with financial successes for life. And that's really important to me when I think about, like, why I got into the, this particular industry is the relationships. I really pride myself on understanding the financial aspect of home ownership, not just homeownership, but, you know, different financial markets and how we can leverage those, you know, to keep people's goals on track with what their goals are today, what their goals are tomorrow. And it just seemed like the mortgage industry was a good oppor- opportunity for me to do that. I was in a transition period where... My first child was born. I unfortunately was transitioning between the car dealership and another opportunity that, uh, that opportunity didn't work out. I learned a lesson at a young age that the grass isn't always greener. And it was, I'm thankful I learned that lesson in my early late 20s, early 30s. And I chased an opportunity and it wasn't, it didn't turn out to be anything. So I found myself in a position where I needed to, to have a job to pay the bills and I was selling work for corporate technologies, like IT service contracts, okay? Mm-hmm. And a gentle, and basically it was like boilerplate room. You were in this open room making phone calls and like the number of calls you were making were up on a screen, they're like tracking them. And you had to make connections with the gatekeepers, as I call it, the people, to get to the decision maker oh. and set the appointments. Well, this, one of the guys in, in the same situation as me, little did I know, you know, he's kind of listening to how I would work <clears throat> on the phone and make relationships mm-hmm. on, and he's like, you'd be great in the mortgage business. Have you ever considered it? My old boss is starting up a brokerage and it's just old 07. And the thing was, is I always was interested in it. I'm like, absolutely. I'd love to find out more about it. And I got together with them. We put together a package that would allow for me to really learn the business while without creating really any opportunities for myself, I needed mm-hmm. to understand the business, understand, you know, what is a mortgage, how does it work? How do you underwrite a file? How do you approve a file? I mean, how do you get credit decisions? Like all the the meat and potatoes of how you qualify for a loan. You, you really can't advise and consult without understanding that stuff. And so once we established that, we this is an 07, I got a professional coach with Money Tree Training Group. We built an active sales force, ASF. And away we go. Here we are 15 years later, you know, I was at that brokerage firm for three years. I was approached again by my brother-in-law. His friend was running the mortgage department for a bank. He said, are you looking? At the time, I was interested in a little more professional environment. Mm-hmm. I was ready for some growth. And, you know, I, so I took the conversation and I went and met with the president of the bank and with her. And it seemed like a good fit. Well, I worked there for 12 years. It was immense It was a great opportunity for me. I learned so much over those years, specifically working with self-employed borrowers, business owners. And I worked there from 2011, June of 11, to last December. In December, January 1st, I started here at Cross Country Mortgage. I partnered back up with the two gentlemen I started in the business with 15 years ago, which is really cool. It's been fantastic to re-engage with the, you know, Iron Sharpens Iron. These guys are really good at what they do, forward thinking, an immense amount of technology, customer service support, sales training, and here we are today at Cross Country Mortgage.
1: Awesome. Man, I did. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have a much better understanding. I didn't realize, like, you were a purebred salesman, it sounds like. I mean, in the car sales, like that's like boots on the ground very transactional the relationship development at that level is very very different than mm-hmm. at the kind of in, in that mortgage space and you also had sounds like just a like a cold call sales job right well, so was,
2: yeah very short lived but yeah i definitely did yep
1: so i'm thinking through this like like mortgage lending, there's a lot of education that you have to provide because there's like these different languages of banking in and different layers that us as the as the borrower are viewed through by, by a bank. I myself like it's taken a lot of time and mistakes along the way to to realize that like how I handle my finances to myself in my business impacts so much my ability to, to get lending for a personal home, really, like a business loan is almost easier to get sometimes for us as business owners. So the education side of home mortgages, like how do you go about that process of educating a customer? Like, I feel like there's so many ways you can go. So how do you go about interacting with somebody when they approach you at first?
2: Yeah, great question. And the thing is, you only know what you know. And even if you've bought five, six, seven, eight houses, it's an ever changing industry Mm -hmm. and you only know what you know. So the first thing I really do, it's so important to me is to, if it's a new client is to establish some rapport, really get to know them, what it is that is driving this decision to have a conversation about a mortgage, whether that's a refinance or a purchasing of a property, primary home, second home, investment property, vacation rental by owner, really getting to understand the client and what is important to them, what's mm-hmm. important to them today, what's important to them tomorrow, what are their goals, what are their needs, I ask a lot of those questions, I take a lot of good notes, and part of that is so that I get to know the person, so that I I kind of know how, you know, like, What type of person is this or family is this? Are they Mm -hmm. cut and dry? Just give me the facts, give me the numbers, you know, or is it the type of person that needs the information so they can digest it? And so it's a little bit slower process. Everybody makes decisions at a different pace. Mm -hmm. And so I ask a lot of questions, but that are qualifying questions. And
1: what are some of those questions? Sorry to cut you off.
2: Yeah, no problem. So, Getting a home loan does not have to be convoluted and difficult. You li- literally only have to meet three categories. Everybody meets these three categories. You either meet these three categories or you don't. You can't meet two of them. You can't meet one of them. You got to meet mm-hmm. all three. How you fall into those three categories determines which loans are available for you. And then, within which loans are available for you, what are the best loans specific to your needs? Okay. What those three categories are very simple credit, okay, collateral, and capacity. And I will explain it really simple. Credit you have to meet a minimum credit standard to get qualified for a home loan. There are a lot of different home loans. The lower your credit, the more difficult it is to qualify, okay? The higher your credit, the better and more easy it could be for you to qualify, but you gotta meet the credit standard. I've seen loans all the way down into the 500 range, okay? That limits your type of loan programs available, but it doesn't mean you can't qualify, so that's credit. The second is collateral. Collateral represents the down payment you're putting on the property if you're buying a property or it represents the equity you have in your home if you are refinancing the home. So you have to either have, well, some loans require nothing down. Those are USDA loans and VA loans, okay? But there has to be some sort of a collateral, Mm -hmm. all right? And then once you own the property, that collateral will change as well and that's when it comes to refinance. So credit, collateral, and then the third item is capacity. That's the one that can get at times can get hung up for self-employed borrowers. Capacity is your ability to repay the loan. It's debt to income ratio. That is determined by what your monthly payments are on your credit report Mm -hmm. plus the new mortgage payment. If you're buying a house divided by what we can calculate your income is on a monthly figure. So as long as you fall into each category, you meet the credit requirements, you meet the collateral requirements, you meet the capacity requirements, you qualify for a home loan. Which loan is best for you based on how you fall into those three categories? That's the next part of the conversation. But until we, you know, we establish the rapport, I understand what the goals and needs are of the client. And then from there we go into, okay, how do you fall into these three categories? And then what does the broader picture look like for what are the loan capabilities based on how you fall into those categories?
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So what I'm hearing you say is essentially the bank's looking to try to understand, like, the past, your, your credit, your ability to pay pay on time. And then the next one, where you're at currently, the, the present, like, do you have cash to put into this, right? And then the capacity would be a, almost like a prediction of the future, right? That's a way to look at it. So what is the most common scenario that you see a business owner coming in, maybe like in that growth phase, right? Their business is growing. Maybe they've added an employee or something like that. And now their family's growing alongside of it and they're looking to get a personal loan. Like what are some of the the things that you kind of have to bring to light to these individuals that maybe they're unaware of up until that point?
2: Yep. So if we're talking about like a new business owner just about to start We'll say we're in your first or second year of ownership, you know, which is a challenging and, and can be a growth period. Mm-hmm. Obviously you're trying to to raise your gross sales as much as possible, but at the same time, you've got your deductions, got your employee expenses, your taxes, mm-hmm. your equipment purchases, you know, all the different expenses that come with being a business owner. What you have to understand is there's different types of ownership. You've got you've got your you know your schedule C's. You've got your 1120s get your 1120s, sole proprietor, S corp, C corp. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different types of business owners when it comes to becoming self-employed. As a lending standpoint, we think about how you file your tax returns, okay? okay. And how you file those tax returns will determine what we need to do. If you get a K-1, you've got a personal tax return, and you got a business tax return. okay? If you get a K-1 and you have more than 25% ownership on that K-1 or in that company, then we have to take into consideration what the financials of the business tax return look like. If you don't have 25% or more, then we can just go off of your personal tax return, okay? Okay. And so my advice to business owners, is to really understand what your goals are for the following year as you're wrapping up this year. Do you foresee, and things change, of course, but if you foresee yourself needing to qualify for a home loan the following year, you might want to talk to your accountant about Mm -hmm. how you want to structure the taxes for that particular year. Okay. Typically for a self-employed borrower or a business owner, the bank's, or a mortgage consultant like myself are going to look at one to two years of history so that we can document what that path looks like to your earlier point. Then we're going to look at what's currently happening. Then we're going to formulate an opinion based on the past, the present, what it's going to look like in the future. Okay. And so there is a very cut and dry structure. If you want traditional financing with your Fannie and Freddie loans, conventional, VA loans for your government-backed veteran loans, FHA loans, which are government-backed, and USDA loans. The jumbo market, which is above a loan amount of 760, is a different animal as well, more scrutinized, whether you're just a normal consumer or a business owner. And then you've got your portfolio products that take more of a common sense approach to qualifying the business owner, Mm -hmm. and a, a pretty vast experience in the portfolio products. Because a lot of people that are self-employed or business owners, they just don't fall into the the box that is your typical conventional financing. So you Mm -hmm. need to take a step back and have more of a common sense approach. With that doesn't always come the same terms and conditions of your loans that are sold in the secondary market to Fannie and Freddie because that's where most of the loans are sold. They portfolioed these with Fannie and Freddie to have the best terms and conditions, the lowest rates. They're the least risky, Mm -hmm. okay? That's the other thing people need to really understand. All lending, whether it's commercial lending or it's residential lending to buy a house, everything is all risk based. Okay, what is the riskiness of the scenario? The higher the credit, the more assets, the stronger the business, the less risk, the easier it is to qualify a situation like that. The lower the credit, the lower the assets, the less length of time for the business. It's just riskier. So the terms and conditions change because of the risk threshold of the business and that qualification.
1: Yeah, because essentially the bank is looking to make sure they get their money back, right? Like that's how the business of banking continues. They need to get their money back plus more, right? So dealing with somebody in such a like a pivotal part in like most people's lives when they're purchasing a home or, or a second home, like people don't really do that all the time. So there's a lot of emotion involved behind that, typically, right? But then when we talk about banking, it's really like this it's like this language of, of numbers and the assessment of those numbers that you almost act as an interpreter to somebody that's not really thinking with the logical part of their brain. How do you handle that part of the The rapport building with somebody who's really just learning everything that is the future of buying that home?
2: Well, that's a great question. And I believe in presenting information based on data and illustrations. In fact, I can tell you I'm the greatest thing next to sliced bread, which I think I am. But I agree. (laughs) If I have the data, the illustrations, the feedback from other consumers like you to present Value as to what I'm explaining is fact helps kind of break down that barrier of trust Mm -hmm. all time. Every situation is different, but here's what I've learned over the years when it comes to business owners, someone like yourself, business owners focus a a lot of their time on their business. Okay, They don't always take the necessary amount of time to focus on their personal needs the way they should, because if, in their mind, I feel if the business isn't performing at a certain level, the personal needs are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there is a separation of church and state. We'll say for the state, you know, sake like of this conversation,
1: like, like a mindset, like just yep. simply understanding that financially, there's two different parts of, of,
0: well, even more than
1: financially, like overall, business owners we get sucked into this vacuum and like this echo chamber of our business and we don't realize that that other part's important especially when we're talking banking and financing so i think that's a really good point that you bring up that there is like the finances need to be different and when they are different it actually can improve like how we're viewed as a potential candidate to get a loan is that right if i'm understanding it yep for sure
2: i guess what i was Trying to get at also was, it's just as important to focus on your personal needs and self, Mm -hmm. your consumer type stuff as it is the business. The business is gonna drive the opportunities for your consumer needs and your personal needs. But I've just witnessed over many, many years working with business owners that it's not right or wrong. And I understand it because I'm a business owner too. I mean, at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, I don't get paid just to show up here and have a podcast. I gotta build my business. So are you working on the business or are you working in the business and are you working on yourself? And sometimes when it comes to the number piece, Matt, I will welcome the opportunity to get the other trusted advisors of the business owner's life involved, financial planners, CPAs, attorneys, you know, collectively the business owner should have these relationships with these different entities. And ideally if they don't, I'm there to help and mm-hmm. guide them and get them in touch with people I know, like, and trust that have helped other people like the business owner to make sure that everything is put together and wrapped up perfectly. Having those relationships and those conversations builds a lot of trust with the client. And uh, it, we want to make sure that we're keeping All aspects of your goals in line, the businesses aspects, the personal aspects, and at times that might mean we need to bring in other resources that you have on your wealth team. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, I have a lot of experience working in that environment. And I have no problem asking, like, hey, I tell you what, I know we maybe we should get the your accountant involved so that from a number standpoint and the language. Like we can get a little bit, you know, you already trust yeah. that person. Let's bring them in and let's both talk about the same thing. But if I'm saying something and the, an accountant saying it the same way, two people saying the same thing probably is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so for a lot of business owners, they're running their business. The numbers are coming in. They got their bookkeeper. They got their accountant. They focused on sales, focused on business development, employees, huge one. You know, the number piece, they've got people to do that. So they don't always understand what, how those numbers look yes. because it's not what, that's not their job. They have people to do that. And so now when it comes to actually doing the loan, well, we got to dive into the numbers.
1: Yeah. Um, and it gets real. And sometimes like understanding that, like the truth hurts, right? And sometimes like I know myself in the past, just not knowing something had an impact, like Vehicle loans, right? If you co- co-sign for those and it hasn't been 12 months, then they're still on, like, it's still reflected and impacts your capacity, right? Because that's, they're taking that from what they can expect you to make payments on based yeah. off your income.
2: You know what, that's a good segue. Cause you know, obviously I know about your business and great question, you know, for, and we can, roll it back to your initial question about somebody starting up their business. Okay. Let's say you're buying vehicles. Well, you got to get a loan for them. Well, your Mm -hmm. business doesn't have any credit, doesn't have any history. How do you get a loan for them? Well, you got to get a loan in your personal name. Okay. So now we pull this credit report and we got three, four, five vehicles that are on your personal credit report, which is a liability, a monthly Mm -hmm. payment against what your income is. And so the kind of the workaround in situations like that would be, okay, this is where We're probably gonna have to get out of the box and get into some common sense portfolio lending. Let's get some bank statements from the business, document some proof the business is paying it. It's more work on the, the one thing about some of these loans is it does become more cumbersome to the business owner because now they got to start collecting information.
1: More info, yeah. More
2: info, but we have to prove that the business is paying hey let's doc let's get copies of checks from the business showing that the business is actually paying these personal loans mm-hmm. okay yep. let's get a pnl let's get a balance sheet let's just put it in writing and on paper with fact and data that the business is paying for it okay mm-hmm. in this situation then we can omit it from your personal debt, even though it's on your personal debt, because we can document clearly and efficiently that the business is paying it, but that's where it requires some work on the business owner's part.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And to your point, it's like, you're like, well, it's easier on a commercial loan than a residential loan. It can be, yep, definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just- Because there's different. cash flow behind it, right? Like yeah. there's income expected when it's that personal consumer. Now everything is kind of liability based so that what's coming in, yeah. what do you owe? How do we make sure we get, Get the money
2: back and the other thing that you know business owners need to keep in mind is hey if the idea of owning a business and running a business obviously is having your largest sales receipts showing the least amount of profitability so that we can reduce the amount of tax obligations we have to the government mm-hmm. well the box is government yes. loan typically and the man's only going to give you credit for what you're paying the man mm-hmm. okay so that's where we start here and if it doesn't work there we get into some of the common sense underwriting the portfolio products and you know do you fit the three boxes and then within the three boxes if we doesn't work here what's the next step
1: and a lot of that's just telling the story right Mm -hmm. because some of these banks depending on which lender a business owner goes to like their community, right? And they're made, the decisions are made like by a board almost. Can you explain some of that decision-making process on how like the thumbs up or thumbs down type of yep. scenario really plays out in the real world?
2: Yep. So I do have an extensive history of working in a community bank. I worked for a local community bank that when I left was upwards of five, six billion in assets. I handled many, many Self employed borrowers' loans that went to what we call a portfolio lending product. Okay. And I'll, I'll explain the difference between bank and the portfolio products that I have available here at Cross Country. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, to your point, a lot of times what I witnessed on these local, small, you know, regional, small, medium sized, regional sized community mm-hmm. banks, great places, they will set a portfolio product up. Okay, for me, they would tell me, all right, this is what it looks like. You know, they got to have 20% down. They got to have a 700 credit score and they got to have good assets. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'll look at the file, talk to the client. Okay, yep, you got a 700 credit score. You got 20% down. You've got some bank statements, whether they're business or personal. You got some retirement accounts. There's some assets here we can sink our teeth into. Okay, why would we need to do a portfolio product? All right. You worked at Target and you were a buyer and you had all these third-party entities you worked with at Target. Well, you figured it out. Hey, I can create my own business and mm-hmm. have these same clients because the people like me, they want to do business with me. As long as I can deliver the product, I don't have to be a Target to do it. So now I'm self-employed, 1099 employee. All right, we can track what you did in the past at Target. Here's your income, here's what you're doing. But now you have no tax returns, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got to show me your bank statements that I can see money coming in from things you've sold, your business statements. Yeah. Show me your balance sheet. Show me your PL. and Now we've built a picture, okay? Mm-hmm. You have a 700 credit score. You have the 20% down. You've got some assets. We can see you've got money coming in. All right. You fall in line with what a, this portfolio product would be. Here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to do a seven-year arm, a seven-year balloon. Here's your rate. It's 1% origination for us to do the deal. Here's what it is. Mm -hmm. And you can finance the loan, okay? That's how a lot of community banks are going to put together the portfolio products if you don't fall in line with the box Mm -hmm. that is traditional financing. Now, depending on what their flavor is, depending on what's happening in the economy, they might come out with some 30-year fixed products, 20-year fixed products, 15-year fixed products. It really depends on... Where the market's at, where they see it going. Okay. If it's a low interest rate environment, they might do these balloons or ARM programs because they only want to be on the hook for three, four, five, six, seven years, knowing that interest rates will change and go up and they can refinance these people out of it and get into a higher interest rate environment for the bank, more mm-hmm. profitability, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to where we're at today in a higher interest rate environment than we saw over the last two to five years. Mm -hmm. Based on fact and what's taken place historically in an inflationary environment, Fed raises rates up until the consumer feels the pain, businesses feel pain, unemployment numbers go down, they see a crack in unemployment, they always go too far, and then they realize, okay, because there's lagging data, Fed's always looking at data from the past, not data currently. When the data catches up, they realize they went too far, they start to cut rates, okay? and rates go down. Well, banks right now know that their rates are gonna get, whatever they do today is gonna get refinanced because the market's gonna go down. Okay, so setting long-term, they're not so worried about setting probably longer-term loan products right now because they know it's going to get refinanced. They probably put, they might even put prepayment penalties on it to make sure that it doesn't. But, you know, those are the types of loan, possible loan products that you may see in the banking environment, your shorter term loan products, where gives the bank an opportunity to get off of the loan if the people don't deliver. Understand this. Banks don't want to own real estate. Banks are in the business of writing loans mm-hmm. and lending money, not taking real estate back, and then having to refurbish it and sell it and deal with margins or losses. They don't want to own real estate. They want to own loans and collect the payments and service the loans.
1: Okay. and that's why they work so hard on the front end because they don't want right. to like they don't want to go through that process right no. so that they want to really help ensure that you're in the financial position as a consumer to not have like a worst case scenario pretty much happen to you and your family when you're in the home of your dreams
2: and that's where we're at today versus where we were at back mm-hmm. in when the when the you know housing crash happened there's so mortgage industry is one of the high, most highly regulated industries and all of business and it Mm -hmm. is to protect the consumer from themselves yeah and things have gotten more difficult then things loosen up then they get difficult again depends on what's happening Mm -hmm. with the economy but at the end of the day they're putting checks and balances in place to make sure that the consumer is protected because a housing crisis is so detrimental on the economy and i don't and then we won't have that in my opinion again um just based on, you know, there's everybody has so much equity in their house mm-hmm. because of how the home, you know, how it's how appreciated. Performed. Yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation that we can get into about the market. But, you know, and then at Cross Country Mortgage, like we have all those traditional loan programs mm-hmm. that I mentioned that any banks have. And then on top of that, we've got the portfolio product. It's called a non-QM loan. You know, non-QM loans are portfolio loans. QM is qualified mortgage. Okay, that's a qualified mortgage is the loan that fits in the box that's Fannie and freddie for conventional financing fha financing va financing that's called a qm mortgage qualified mortgage if you don't fit in that box then it's a non-qm loan that mm-hmm. and the non-qm loans are portfolio products that each lender you're working with creates their own portfolio of what they want their non-qm loans to look like we happen to be one of the biggest non-qm lenders in the country that is not a community bank.
1: Man, so you get to see human behavior as it, like as the economy shifts, because so much of it is like directly reflected in the, the housing market. Like how does human behavior change like as the economy is changing? Like do, are people still coming to you in like the same state or is there some a different type of emotion depending on what the economy is presenting? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. Of course. I mean, when interest rates were 2%, 3%, 4%, everybody's always going to be focused on what their specific budget is. Does it work for their needs Mm -hmm. on a personal level? The emotion attached to payments is a lot different today than it was in 2018, 19, 20, Mm -hmm. 21, even portion of 22, because we find ourselves in a higher interest rate environment. The housing payment right now is probably one of the biggest payments people have car loan payments are high interest rates on those are high consumer debt credit card interest is so high. Mm -hmm. You know, we all buy gas. We know what that costs. We all buy food. It's crazy to think what you get for food. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's the holidays and spending money at Christmas shopping sure seems like there's a lot less stuff in the bag today than there was in the past.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: and all that adds up. So the economy impacts, everybody on so many different levels but like it starts with this number right economics is like it hinges based off a number the the interest loan rate or whatever and then so quickly it becomes like this emotionally charged thing yeah is that because of a lack of understanding of all the steps between emotion and the numbers because like you can't you're not in the emotions and feelings game you got to do math right like That's how banks look at it. Well,
2: yes and no. For me personally, 100%, number one, is emotions and feelings.
1: That's your your role, right? Yeah,
2: because, I mean, if we can't establish rapport that Mm -hmm. I care, I'm a consumer too. Like, yes, I do this for a living, so I understand it more than you did. But Mm -hmm. if I was to ask you about your business and... You know, taking, you know, Hey, I've got this really bad mouse problem and Mm -hmm. it's never goes away and it stinks. And my wife hates it and it's driving me nuts. And I'm nervous about who I'm going to choose to handle this problem because if it doesn't get handled, it's still a problem. It's still a problem. Yeah. And I only know what I know. So if you came to me and all you wanted to talk about was what the price was of the service you're offering, you didn't mm-hmm. care about what the emotions were of what we're dealing with and why this is such a big deal to us. I probably wouldn't choose to do business with you, mm-hmm. right? It's no different for the home loan if I don't have empathy and understanding and care of what my client's exact situation is. I can't be the best loan officer for them. And it happens to be a transaction, but I'm growing a relationship and I want to be their mortgage consultant for life and all their friends and family members, mortgage consultant for life. And how do you, you don't get that by just doing math.
1: Yeah. You got to go deep. You got to go like numbers. Aren't emotion. Like the, as I'm thinking about like the role you have in people's lives, but also like at cross country mortgage, like, it's so much of an interpreter and like you're that like almost in between translator of, okay, I need to understand what language you speak. And here's the language that's actually going on with our capability to provide any type of funding because I want to help you achieve your goals, right? Like people come to you, like when you work with a mortgage lender anywhere, like that's kind of like uh pivotal part in your life, right? So you get to leave an impact uh, if it's handled appropriately, right? So how much time does it take to dive into some of these numbers? Like, I can only Im- like imagine like what your day-to-day w- looks like. Well, like, is I mean, it is this all this presented to you? Do you have to go peeling it all back or?
2: No, I mean, it, everything's, you know, here's a perfect example, Cap. Okay? Let's say, let's say I did a loan for your brother, Cap. Okay? and you're talking about wanting to buy a house okay and it's your first house and your brother's like you know what i know a great loan officer matt ripley cross country would you be interested in having a conversation with him he's always been had done a good job of helping me understand and educate me and make me feel comfortable with the decisions i'm making Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that sounds great okay give me his number so you call me i pick up the phone hey matt ripley with cross country mortgage Hey, this is Matt Eichmann. Your, my brother Andy worked with you in the past. Oh, yeah, Andy's great, awesome. Well, Matt, what's going on? How can I help you today? Well, I am thinking about buying my first house. Awesome, that's great, congratulations. Homeownership is the key to establishing financial freedom and giving yourself more opportunities in life. Can you tell me a little bit about you know why you wanna own a house? And we go into great detail. Okay. What are they currently doing? Are they renting? Do they live at home? How much is their rent? And, you know, asking these questions allows me to start to like uncover the peel, the layers off the onion. You mm-hmm. know, like what, if they're paying $1,500 a month for rent and a mortgage is $3,000, I mean, that's a huge payment shock to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like, so asking the questions and peeling the layers off and really getting to know what their current situation is and then diving into why they want to be a homeowner, you know, what is important to them, giving them the opportunity to ask me any questions, anything and everything. Because at the end of the day, if you've never bought a house before, again, you only know what you know. And even if you've bought multiple houses, people are, want to feel confident and comfortable that no question's a silly question. I want my clients to feel comfortable that they can ask any question. If I don't know the answer, I'll get them the answer, but I'll give them what my honest opinion is of what their question might be. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel comfortable with that, then we haven't established a good rapport initially. How am I ever going to be able to present them now with the financial facts that will allow them to make the best financial decisions for their family and their future, okay? At the end of the day, I can lead a horse to water. I can't make them drink. I will present the opportunity that's best for them based on what their situation is, their goals and their needs are. And I'll do it in a manner that, tries to make it easy for them to Mm -hmm. understand what that is. And it's not just, Hey, your payments X. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's get what let, you know, let's have a a sit down. Let's do a zoom call. Let's share screens. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look Mm -hmm. at what the break even is on those numbers. Let's look on what, how we can take that number and appreciate it over time. And now we've created wealth and income and opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, did answer that question, it's like, what does my day look like? Well, you know, everything's everything's structured with time blocking. So time
0: blocking.
2: the initial call, I would take I would ask you some questions, Matt, and mm-hmm. get you comfortable with wanting to go to the next step and what that next step would be is an application. And typically I would then direct people to my website where they can complete that application. Once the application's complete, my team, my loan assistant, my loan partner, they would work on gathering the financials, pulling the credit, gathering the financials, scrubbing through those three C's, credit, collateral, capacity. Once it's all together, I set appointment up with the client. Let's do a, now let's set up a buyer's consultation to go over the pre-approval if you're trying to buy a house. At that point, we're gonna do it face-to-face. We're gonna do a Zoom call, a Teams call, you know, sit down somewhere and we're going to go over what that pre-approval looks like, what the numbers look like, helping them understand what the next steps are to get them over to the real estate agent and going and out and looking for homes. Once they have that offer accepted, they're back again and we're going to go over the exact details of what the interest rate is at that time, what the payments are, what the out-of-pocket expenses are, and what next steps are from a paperwork standpoint so that we can have a successful transaction once they have that offer accepted. And so that they know exactly what expectations are of them Mm -hmm. and what they are of me and give, and so that we lay in the groundwork so that there are no surprises. And if anything does come up, we're prepared and ready to deal with it.
1: I mean, you just laid out the like general mortgage process, like at a high level, like really, really well, like those steps, it's very incremental. It can happen quickly or it can take a really long time depending on what happens in kind of that financial gathering, which is really the initial analysis of, do you get past level one yeah. type of deal? And then, then it goes to the agent because the agent is the next step in that process for the customer. And they can't just go start looking for houses and waste their time if they're not even sure this person's going to be able to to purchase the home. So It's a pivotal role there. So let's go, let's step away from all these numbers. I can nerd out big time on that, but let's get to like the just overall like human side of it. So you're a really regimented individual. You, You time block really, really well. It sounds like you have to because you have so many things going on, both on your personal life and your business side. So can you tell me like how you think about creating those time blocks and and then maybe like how you handle like an emergency or, or like a change in that?
2: Great questions. Time blocking, somewhat new to me. and But somewhat new to me implementing, but something mm-hmm. I've been thinking about for a long time. Like yourself as a business owner, we're torn in a lot of different directions. And we know what we need to get done on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I would say we most of the time probably get it done, but it's like getting it done in bits and pieces. All right, I want to prospect. I want to be involved with my social brand. I -hmm. want to go to the gym. I want to make sure that I can spend some time with my family tonight. I want to get Mm -hmm. to my kid's hockey game. I want to go to sales training. I want to make phone calls and text messages and follow-ups with all my clients that have birthdays today. I want to research this. So like all these things we need to do, if I start doing one of them and then the phone rings and then I get distracted and I go do that
0: mm-hmm. or someone
2: walks into my office and I get distracted and I'm doing that, it takes away from really being present with the activity that what I need to do to I need to do to the best of my abilities. And the only way for me to do that is to make sure that I'm staying uber focused on what that activity is and when I slotted it in to where I need to get it done. So what I did was I did a lot of research on time blocking here recently on what some of the different strategies were. And then separately, I thought about what do I do on a daily basis? What do I want to be doing more of? What am I doing that I should be doing less of? what do i think is important how do i want to grow my business and then taking all that information and going back to the time blocking and then look at what does my day look like what does my week look like do i have to change my lifestyle to make sure that i can get these things in to the important things that i've established this has to happen am i getting it done or not if i'm not mm-hmm. is there enough hours in the day in the work week to do all this and does that mean i have to change some lifestyles and then it's just putting it down on in a time blocking scenario and just doing it. The one yes. thing about all of us, no one's good at anything when they first start doing it. You just got to start doing it. And then you figure it out. Yes, and that's you so powerful.
1: Yeah, because you, you, know? yeah, you get feedback then, like everything up until the start doing it that you just described is really, like it's deep thinking, it's critical thinking that helps you set yourself up for success when you're in that scenario, you're in the doing it stage, however, we can get to the doing it stage and realize that some of what our strategy or theory was, was actually wrong. And now we have to pivot anyway. But in that self analysis, like you're really like peeling back the layers of your the investment of our time. Right. And finances, those are like people's all over the place in their financial spectrum. Right. Time is like, it's like the equalizer, right? Like we, our time is all the same and how we, invest that is so important so investing the time in like actually thinking about it because you talked about thinking about different stages of it so many different times there it's not like you can just do this in like 25 minutes and like Mm -mm. move forward like you have to set goals and and do these type of things and and really slow down like the opposite of hustle like it's a hustle but it's like a mental and like mental energy and you have to apply that into like deep thinking and then go do it and then come back to the table and process kind of what happened with that.
2: Yep. And then to your point, you asked the question like, okay, you're time blocking. What happens when, you know, obviously things are going to come up something, Mm -hmm. a client calls or a real estate agent calls and they need something right then and there. Yeah. That's part of the business. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to, you know, step aside and realize where you're at in your time block with the activity you're working mm-hmm. on. Okay. And then accomplish what that need is right there. That takes precedent and then circle back to completing that time block item at a later date that day, or, or maybe yeah, like making sure longer. it gets done. Make yeah. sure it still gets done. But like, just what I've really found about time blocking is, is like, I have always done a lot of stuff mm-hmm. all day long. Like I'm not sitting around doing this, but I really truly feel like when you are, when you time block, you can get so much more done and less amount of time. And to your point, the, your time is valuable. When I think about what's important to me, what is your high payoff activity? And of all the activity you're doing, how much of it is high payoff activity?
0: Yeah. And leveraging you,
2: it. Yeah. And you like you only have so much time. So are you in the right things with that time you have available and then putting it in some sort of a process? I mean, don't get me wrong, we're gonna get stuff done, but I mm-hmm. can't be my best self if I'm always in reactionary mode. Yeah. Okay. And I can't be my the best business person, best husband, dad, friend, coach employee, colleague, whatever it may be, it just, it feels like you have so much more control of your life and of your business that when you do find yourself in those, we'll call it a fire sale. Mm
1: -hmm. Shit hits the fan pretty much. Shit hits
2: the fan, (laughs) a lot more prepared to deal with it. And the other things that you need to be doing, it's not like they just go to the wayside because you've been so consistent with them Along the way.
1: Yep. I mean, it's so easy to, be, as a business owner, to always be in that like fireman state
0: Reacting where every. you're just
1: going around putting fires out because there's always going to be something that's not perfect in business. Yeah. It's inevitable. We're always tweaking and like correcting. So to be able to really grow and scale, stepping back and taking the time and energy to think about a scenario prior to that scenario being at hand eliminates a lot of the chaos, right? So instead of showing up to work and saying, well, what do I do now? I'm just gonna open my email and do that versus <laughs> I'm gonna show up to work, I'm gonna take the first 30 minutes to review my emails, I'm gonna process them as fast as I can. After that, I'm gonna go to social media. Follow, like, then it's like you minimize the amount of time that you're giving yourself for that. So there's a law, a universal law called Parkinson's law. Essentially things expand to take the amount of time that you give them. And, right. and time blocking kind of, it creates this, like, ability to get more done than, than you thought you could. And it's, like, the procrastination rule, really. Like, this is why you could write a paper on the night before it was due because that's – it just happens. That's the universe. And when you you make the decision on the time, now you're in control. So that chaos that we have, I've been there before. Like, I used to think I don't need – I don't like the rules. I don't like the constraints. Like, going against the man type of deal, right? Well, this was a very hippie version of Matt at that point. And, like, (laughs) I really realized that, like, how I felt emotionally and the mental drain of all of this juggling and letting people down because I overcommitted and didn't make sure I had the time to do it sucks. And, like, thinking about how you feel, and then if you don't like it, like, changing it. But just, like, staying in that space is not okay. And by creating some rigidity in my schedule, it actually did the opposite of what I thought it would do. I thought it would like box me in and like really limit myself and the flexibility that I had as a business owner, but it did, like it created so much time because there was so much waste of mental energy throughout the day because I got nine things up in the air. I got to follow right. up with this person. and Plus
2: you're probably just so much more in the moment what you're doing at mm-hmm. that point in your time blocking schedule. But, yeah, I mean, to me, the time blocking is you just, you know, we'll just say for the sake of numbers, you can take a 60-hour work week and get it done in 35 to 40 hours. If you want to work, mm-hmm. you want 40-hour work week, probably get it done in 20, 25 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it is that you want to do, if you add structure to what you have taken that deep thought, that deep work to determine this is the high payoff activity, you're just going to be more involved in that high payoff activity. You're going to get more mm-hmm. done. If, yeah, your emails have to get returned, but it doesn't need to be like reactionary, like this yeah. happened, I gotta return it. Like time blocking, like, okay, to your point. Like here's an example of my day today. Okay. Yeah. On Wednesdays, the things that are important to me, like I said, I want to work out. I want to, you know, work on my business. I want to work in my business. I want to, you know, have time with my family, get the kids' sports. But then within all of that, like what does it look like today? Well, today that requires getting up at six AM, going to the gym mm-hmm. immediately getting home at 7.30, sitting down, having my coffee for half an hour, doing direct outreach on social media, likes, comments, posts, sending out, making one post, okay, done on social media, get to the office for two hours, prospecting, making my birthday, returning my emails, then prospecting, then sales training, okay, then back to the emails after lunch, okay, Back to the prospecting, create a video, get out of here at 5 o'clock, go see my kids.
1: And that's powerful, man. Like, then you're not a slave to your email when you're trying to be at your kid's hockey practice and watch them. You're not there trying to yeah. re- reply to emails at that point.
2: And it's not like that's not being replied, but, you know, you can tell the stuff that obviously it's in front of me. You can tell yeah. the stuff that is – needs an immediate reply and things Mm -hmm. that can be time blocked to um, returning emails at this time and this time, you know?
1: Well, because I mean, your time's so, so valuable. Like you have to be able to make those decisions. You can't allocate all day to email responding.
2: Right. And then to your point, like in the, we'll just, now we got to bring in, okay, well, what part of that are you doing loan consultations? Well, Mm -hmm. great question. When I make a loan consultation, I've scheduled the buyer's well, the phone call comes in. We take the phone call. I explain how that process goes. Now it's on the consumer. They got to do some work. They got to get the application completed. They got to get all the details mm-hmm. in. Once we have that, then we schedule a buyer's consultation based on their schedule and mine. Mm-hmm. Now it might not always work for my schedule. It might be 9 o'clock at night. It might be 6 o'clock at night. That part of the business, I have to be willing to adjust. Okay, But because you
1: get that, to make the decisions still yeah, at that point.
2: Yeah, but it could be a Saturday, could be a Sunday. Maybe, mm-hmm. definitely that's part of the business. It's not a nine to five business by mm-hmm. no means, never has been. But all the other items that I need to do to allow me to still have the time
0: mm-hmm. to,
2: and yet take a scheduled appointment at six o'clock at night, okay, mm-hmm. well that might just mean that that particular day, I'm gonna spend a little more time in the morning at home with my kids. Or yes. I'm going to have lunch, you know, I'm going to go home a little bit earlier, see them, knowing that I'm going to plug back in at 6 o'clock for a couple hours, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm just using the family as a reference mm-hmm. because it's very important to me. So, you know, time blocking is huge. I mean, if people aren't doing it, I'm happy to talk to them about it. I know you're happy to talk about it. I'd love to share ideas about how you do it and how I do it. I mean, collaborate. It. It. You know, that's just good stuff.
1: So, yeah, so you said you've thought about it for a while, right? But you kind of have gotten... Serious, like what was like the kick in the butt or whatever that got you to like take that time and dedicate it to doing it?
2: Great question. So 2023 has been an interesting year in in the uh, mortgage industry. We're coming off of, you know, two or three years of some of the largest amount of volume Mm -hmm. of loan transactions that anyone in the mortgage industry has ever been part of in that environment where there's such a large volume of transaction happening because of where the interest rates were at, you really couldn't, for most people, the time wasn't there to work on your business. It was Mm -hmm. working in the business, okay? And so this year in 2023, it's a lot like pre-COVID. You have to like remind yourself of what that business, what is this business, okay? you know, 2018, 19, working in the business, working on the business. And so it it took a little bit of time as the year went on. Like I have more time than I had the last three years, but I created a habit of reactionary for three straight years because it had to be, it was just a massive amount of transactions taking place, Mm -hmm. going all different directions. The market determined that. Now, if I find myself in that situation again, hopefully I do, because the market was really good. It'll be interesting to see what this year and this model that I'm in, how Mm -hmm. I can use that to help me in that type of environment as well. So I'm excited about that. But I just, 2023 was a year that you could re-engage and refocus on not just, you know, working in the business, but working on the business. And I realized that, you know, I had some habits that didn't allow for me to stay focused on the high payoff activity because of the distractions and I was getting a lot of work done I mean being are you busy yeah.
1: are you like are you busy are you, are you effective yeah like are you are, are doing you,
2: stuff you're
1: busy but are what are you busy with working smarter not harder like 100%. that was one of the things I had to learn playing college baseball is like because your body is like a tool at that point, like you can overtrain. So being busy, like at some point becomes negatively impactful on your output. So like regulating it and not just being busy for the sake of spending time, but knowing that you're moving towards a goal is so important. And then you can also measure your success based on that track record versus the time that's spent in it. So as you're talking, I was kind of thinking about a different part of like a business interaction, right? So for you, the other players in a real estate transaction are like the real estate agent, right? And then the title company, and then the then it's you and the consumer. Am I missing anybody?
2: Insurance agent, if you're uh, yeah, we always got to have the insurance agent involved. Sometimes you might have. So the five Ds I call it are is basically what, regardless of what markets are doing, the five Ds it will always be there. Mm-hmm. Diapers, people have kids, they need to get a house, either get a house or more house. Diplomas, graduate from college, get a job or you get additional education where it puts you into a new class of home ownership. Divorce, people go through divorces. Death, okay, and diamonds. There's your five D's. Those are life events. Those life events require the services of someone like me.
1: So is there anything that you, that you wish real estate agents knew about mortgage lending? Like are there some things that real estate agents maybe don't fully understand about that you wish they did understand to make your job easier through that process?
2: Well, I mean, the interesting part about the real estate market is, is you would think <laughs> if you're going to buy a house that you contact the money guy first. Because we tell you if you can afford the house, should you be looking at houses? But that's not how it goes because we don't do the sexy thing. They always, Mm -hmm. uh, many times people call the real estate agent first. And a good real estate agent wants to make sure they're pre-approved. So they get them over in touch with the lender. But a lot of times they call the real estate agent first. And, you know, because they do the sexy stuff. We do the not fun stuff. We talk about numbers and you know, yeah, bankers
1: don't market themselves. Mortgage agents don't really market themselves. That's all real estate agents really do.
2: Well, I'm trying to change that with my social brand and presence. And tell uh, us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the and mortgage industry is ever changing. And, you know, because of time, we've kind of focused on this time thing. Mm-hmm. People only have so much time. Well, at the end of the day, I really believe people do business with those they like, know and trust. Okay. And I don't have as much time as I would like to be out establishing all kinds of new relationships. All right. Of course, I've established new relationships through community, mm-hmm. through work, through all these other things. But, like, how do I really blow up that outreach to get more people to establish an opinion about me based on what I'm throwing out there into the world? And so I want to use the social platform as an ability to allow people to see who I am as a person, you know, as a family guy, as a friend, as what am I all about in life, but then bring in the business piece as well through video and through other items that is education driven. What do you want your brand to look like and what you throw out there in the social universe is what you're basically telling people who you Mm -hmm. are, what you are. So be aware of that and cognizant of that before you put that out there because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, that's where people are establishing their opinions now because everybody's so busy and everybody's on that phone. Think about it. I got to go get a driver's license. I got to sit down in the waiting lobby. What are you doing? You're getting on your phone. pulling up your social media. You have such a larger outreach through social media than you would any other Aspect. Yeah. What are you doing to build your profile and then get it out there to what you want your target audience to be, and what do you want them to establish as an opinion of you? And you know, so I elicited the services of like a social media coach who I met at a okay. national mortgage convention, and that particular person has given some great insight and ideas on where to go, and then has you know, started to give me, change my mindset about it. I mean, Mm, social media and mindset is such a huge thing. Like, I listen to so many podcasts about this stuff and business and mindset Mm -hmm. and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, like we were talking about, you just got to go do it. Let me remind you, like, whatever I did today, you're going to forget about it by the end of the day. Yeah. Whether I did good or didn't do good, or it was dumb, or I could have been mm-hmm. better at this on a social media post, no one cares. The only one that cares is you. And
1: well, they're going for this perfection, right? And they think that right. that level of importance they have about themselves is also what other yeah. people believe about yeah, them. like, it's... you know,
2: like the only roadblock really is ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. we're keeping ourselves from growing. We're keeping ourselves from growing our business, growing ourselves as a person. So the more you focus on getting rid of that roadblock, the more opportunities you have to grow. And are you doing something? I'm a real believer in this right now. Like if you're not finding yourself in uncomfortable situations, you're not going to grow. And maybe you don't want to grow. That's okay. But if you do want to grow, like part of growing is understanding that you have to do something that's uncomfortable. And guess what uncomfortable is? It's change. Change is uncomfortable. People don't like change, but change is usually short-term uncomfortableness for long-term success because mm-hmm. that change is gone and you become comfortable.
1: And when we think about change, a lot of times we're just hyper-focused on the negative change, right? In that uncomfortable space when you're like in that change state, like you could fail, but if you're somebody that wants to grow, you probably have a track record of doing that. There's a greater chance that you're going to have success so by creating that uncomfortable position or situation for yourself you now you have to you have to elevate yourself to a higher level right instead of just that status quo i mean that's kind of what like for me hustle is always like that little bit more kind of trying to find that extra edge so one thing we've been asking a lot of the people we've had on Homegrown Hustle is like what that word hustle means to them in terms of business. Could you describe kind of what that yep. word means to you, Matt?
2: I love it. I've been thinking about this entire time that we've been talking. When you use the word hustle, this one word just resonates constantly in my mind, and it's grind. Mm. To me, hustle is the grind, and mm. that is just work hard, play hard. You know, head down, stay focused, and just keep getting it. Keep getting Mm -hmm. after it. Keep doing those things that you know you need to be doing to succeed in business, to succeed Mm -hmm. in life, parenting, friendship, love. But, like, just hustle, get after it, and grind. And don't be, like, your own roadblock. Mm
0: -hmm. Like,
2: you know, if you know you should be doing it, if it's even a thought that you think you should be doing it, then you should probably go do it and so what's holding you back from not doing it we're all going to come up with tons of excuses just do it live the nike lifestyle just do
1: it you know that's so powerful shout out to nike by the way um (laughs) so like is there when you find yourself in like kind of that just do it part of the decision making process like, do you realize that you're in that state and then, like, have already put thought into it and have pre-programmed what the decision is going to be at that point? Or is it something that isn't quite as identifiable?
2: Right. No, 100%. Like, because I know what I've structured I need to be doing doesn't mm-hmm. mean I want to do it. doesn't mean I'm comfortable doing it. Yeah. But it does mean I've thought hard about it and that this is important, that I've established this as an important task or trait and then it's time to do it well yeah there will be times when i'm just like i don't want to do it i'm not in the mood Mm -hmm. this that doesn't matter have to do it and just do it and understand that once you've done it you're done with it and guess what you just accomplished another goal Mm -hmm. stacking wins all day long stack them in the morning And you just keep stacking them. At the end of the day, you look back, like, how many wins did I have today? I mean, that's a powerful thing. And little things, every minute, every day, it's compounding. It's compounding Mm -hmm. into something big.
1: Man, that's super powerful, what you said right there. I love that. So if anyone wants to reach out to you on social media, you're on a few different platforms, what's the best way for somebody to get in contact with you, Matt? So
2: Instagram is mortgages underscore by underscore Matt. Let
1: me just verify that. I guess I should. We'll tag it all in there. So you're on Instagram.
2: Yep, Instagram and just my personal Facebook account, Mm -hmm. Matt Ripley. I like Instagram and Facebook because meta intermingles them and I can focus on one platform and then move it over to the other one pretty seamlessly versus Mm -hmm. having to... You know, do TikTok and yep. all this other things. Like, and it does, to me, it okay, came back to the social thing. Like, you got to be doing it. But I just believe that, you know, it's like anything else. Are you doing little bits of everything or are you doing one thing really good? So yeah. for me, the meta platform allows me to kind of work interchangeably between the two without yeah. having Leverage.
1: Your focus is leveraged because now there's two things with one yeah. activity. I love that. All right. Yeah, so I'd um, say
2: Instagram and, and my personal Facebook account. I do have a business Facebook account, but okay. I'd say personal and, and Instagram are the two best for me. And
1: Yeah. Sweet. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate everyone listening. Follow us on any of the platforms at the Homegrown Hustle Podcast. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. I learned a lot about you and kind of how you... You think about your business and how much you want to help people I'm super grateful for the time i can't wait to see what 2024 has for you
2: yeah and thank you matt i've just been really impressed with the journey you've been on since we first met and uh you're doing some good stuff so keep it up
1: thanks man that's kind of you we're just at the tip of the iceberg right now so I'll appreciate you. you matt you have a great rest of your day we'll chat soon all right take care
0: Thanks again for joining us on Homegrown Hustle. Our local business community thrives because of the brilliant leaders right here in our backyard. And it's been an absolute privilege to provide them with a platform to share their invaluable expertise. Stay tuned for more insight, wisdom, and inspiration from our local business champions. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Together, we'll continue to nurture and expand our homegrown success stories. Matt Eichmann signing off till our next insightful episode.